Good evening to all of you. We have a, a great crowd out tonight. So many people who desire to worship God and study from his word. It's very encouraging to me. There are a lot of people in this room that are very special to me and they mean a lot to me and I love very dearly, but none so much as the Lord because wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he is there. And it's a privilege and it's an honor to be able to worship the great God of heaven. I encourage you to get your Bibles out. We are going to be studying tonight about the holiness of God. If you're visiting here and you're not familiar with uh, what the body of Christ does in a worship service, I don't know everybody's situation here. If you have any questions about anything I might teach or say, I am more than open to discuss and talk. Uh, if it's going to be longer than a couple minutes, you're buying the coffee and I'll do all the answering and we'll just talk all night if we need to. I have no problem with that. I uh, just encourage you to get your Bibles out and study with me from the Word of God about the holiness of of God. In fact, we're going to begin in the book of Revelation for this lesson. You may turn to Revelation chapter 15, or you can just sit there and listen to the words of the song of Moses and the Lamb. This is from Revelation 15 and verse 3. Great and wonderful are the things you have done, O Lord, God of heaven's armies. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. O oh Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name, because you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Yahweh alone, Yahweh alone is independently, infinitely, immutably holy. So much so that in scripture he is frequently styled as the Holy One. He is so because the sum of all moral excellency is found in him. In fact, over in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, John writes that Yahweh is absolute purity, unsullied even by the shadow of sin. Or he writes, God is light and there is no darkness in him, none. Indeed, holiness is the very excellency of of the divine nature. We have been talking about who is God yesterday in our three lessons and then the three uh, tonight and the next two nights. The whole idea of this lesson is we worship God right according to the authority of scriptures and we, we talk about why we worship God, but who do we worship? And the better we can get to know our great God, the more sincere, the more zealous, and the more special and pure our worship <clears throat> will be. In fact, it only takes a moment to realize that we need to know more about the holiness of God in order to really know him. So I want us to more deeply consider the holiness of God. What does holy mean? Well, if you go to Webster's Merriam Dictionary, it's one of my favorite websites. I'm on it every day. I love Webster's Merriam. They have little word games, so I'm a vocabulary geek. But I love, I love Webster's Dic Dictionary. <clears throat> it tells us that the word holy means exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness, divine, venerated, or, uh, venerated as or as if sacred. So that's the big, long definition, exalted or worthy of complete devotion. And, and certainly that, that's a correct definition. There's nothing wrong with that definition. And it certainly applies to the Lord in many ways. But we need to consider the concept biblically to really understand it. We don't go to Webster's Dictionary to establish the authority or even necessarily the context of Scripture. It's a dictionary of English language, of course. And we need to study this biblically. 
The first time the Lord is referred to as holy is in Exodus chapter 15. Turn there if you'd like to. We're going to read a long portion of Exodus chapter 15. This is the song of Moses. This is the song that Moses and the Israelites sang after their deliverance from Egyptian enslavement. In Exodus chapter 15, we read the first 11 verses. <clears throat> Again, if you, if you just want to sit and listen, I have no problem with that. But if you have a paper Bible, I love it when the pages make noise. Isn't that great? So turn to the scriptures and follow along. Check and make sure I don't misread or misspeak. I have no intention to do so. Exodus 15 verse 1. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke saying... I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the sea of Suf, the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. We know that story, the, the Pharaoh's army being swallowed up in the Red Sea. Verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath and consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Verse 10, the Lord blew with your wind. The sea covered them. And they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Now think about this scene. After coming through the Red Sea, after being delivered from Egyptian slavery and bondage, after witnessing the Lord doing this, the people declared that Yahweh is Nadar HaKodesh in Hebrew. Nadar HaKodesh. Uh, different translations have it different ways. I, I, I told you I wasn't going to too, do too much Hebrew, uh, but we've got to do a little bit here just to understand the concept biblically. Nadar HaKodesh is actually a combination of a couple Hebrew terms. The word Kodesh means apartness. It means holiness. It means sacredness. It means separateness. That's what the word Kodesh means means it is used in scriptures to describe that which is the most sacred of god places or things an example would be if you went to exodus chapter 3 and verse 5 when you have the holy ground that moses stood on around the burning bush or the temple space and the items they were holy they were kodesh in fact the very essence of god is described as Kodesh. Now, it's important to understand this word because Merriam-Webster's Dictionary doesn't get into this Kodesh stuff. They just define it according to the English language. And, and, and what the people did in this song, Moses and the people, they combined another word with the word Kodesh. They coupled the word Adar, and we read it as Nadar, but Adar is a word that means uh, to be great, to be majestic, 
wide or noble. In fact, in, in a very similar language that has almost an identical word, it's used to describe the abdomen of somebody with a tumor, great and swollen. And, and that's not what it means here, but it's a similar, uh, we would call it a synonym. But what we see in the different translations when you couple this word together, Kodesh and Adar, when the people first describe God this way, different translations like the King James, the New King James, the American Standard say glorious and holiness. Or majestic and holiness. Maybe your translation says if you're reading from the ESV or something such as that. One other translation that I'm quite fond of says sublime in holiness. And that word sublime means elevated and exalted in holiness. It's just a remarkable phrase in the Hebrew language that we just kind of lose something once it gets translated into our language that we speak every day. But what it boils down to is indeed Yahweh is glorious, indeed he is majestic and sublime in holiness, since there's not another even close to him in essence or attribute. There is nothing there's nothing that compares to God. He is completely other, absolutely completely other from anything else in this physical realm or the spiritual realm that we cannot see with our eyes. But here's the thing, humanity's difficulty, our, our challenge, our difficulty is that we are limited in being able to fully grasp holiness. Let me show you what I mean by that without answering out loud, but do this exercise in your mind. Right now, this is kind of like the don't think about the, ele the pink elephant, right? Everybody just thought about a pink elephant. Okay, think about something in your mind that is, oh, let's say, powerful. Think about something powerful. Okay, everybody got that? All right. Now think about something beautiful. All right. How about something that's pure? Did everybody think of something that kind of matched all those? Or are y'all already asleep? Everybody thought about something? Okay, good. Now, I, I'm going to share my answers. There's no wrong answer here, but when I, when I sat down and put this together, this lesson the first time, we actually had some interesting weather going on. And, and so when I thought about something powerful, the first thing that came to my mind was a thunderstorm, right? Lightning and thunder. Anybody else think thunderstorm? Thunderstorm. I just thought power with a thunderstorm. And then when I said, well, what about, what about something that, that is beautiful? I wanted to say my wife, and just for brownie points, but I, I'm not going to do that, <laughs> although she is. Uh, but I thought about, I thought about a, a colorful sunset. And then when you think about something pure, what about new fallen snow? Right? See, we can, we can think about these types of things, these attributes, and we can find something comparable. Now, think about something in the created cosmos that is holy. You see what I mean? There's really nothing in the created cosmos that can be wholly other and separate like God is because he alone is holy. Scripture says that very plainly. We started in Revelation chapter 15. Let's go back there again and listen again to the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Verse 4, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. 
Now that's not just pretty language, that's truth. God alone is holy. As God's power is the opposite of the native weakness of the creature, as his wisdom is the complete contrast from the least defect of understanding or folly, and we've talked about some of these things in our past lessons, so his holiness is the very opposite of all moral blemish and defilement. Of old, God appointed singers back in Israel, and if you wanted to turn over to 2 Chronicles 20 or just go read this some other time, in 2 Chronicles 20, God would have singers appointed in Israel, and they were to sing the song to the Lord and praise the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army saying this. They would, this is what they were to sing. Give thanks to the Lord, for his grace continues forever. He's holy other. And so if power, and think about this, God is described anthropomorphically, right? If, if power is God's arm or God's hand, and that's how it's used in Scripture, if power is his hand or his arm, if, if omniscience is his eye, he knows and sees all things, if mercy is, is his bowels, his very heart, eternity is his duration, then holiness is God's beauty. It's the beauty of God. It is his holiness that renders Yahweh lovely to those of us who are delivered from the dominion of sin and death. A chief emphasis is placed upon this perfection of God. Did you realize that God is more often described as holy than almighty in scripture? And he is set forth by this attribute more than any other, the attribute of holiness. Holy is a more fixed description of his name, his essence, his reality than any other. I mean, you never find it expressed in scripture about his, uh, his mighty name or his wise name, but his great name and most of all, his holy name. Because this is the greatest title of honor to be given to God. Let's look at some text together. If you were to look over in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3. We can read here, the holiness of Yahweh is solemnly celebrated before the throne of heaven by his created beings, specifically the seraphim. And one of them cried to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know, holy, 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 three holies, that's, that's, that's significant, but it's very similar to you know, the, the, the song of songs, the holy of holies. It's this idea, we can almost say, more holy than the holiest holiness. I know that sounds very repetitive, but that's what holy, holy, holy means. He's more holy than the holiest holiness, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. And this is what the created angelic beings sing and proclaim about him as they encircle him and his throne. In fact, God himself singles out his holiness and he swears by it because holiness is a fuller expression of himself than anything else. Look over in Psalm 89. Let's go here and read Psalm 89 and verse 35. Now listen. Psalm 89, verse 35. And thank you, loud, loud page turners. <laughs> I love it. Electronic Bibles just take something away from the, from the rhythm of a sermon. I don't know what it is, but I, I love it. 
Now, don't get too crazy. Somebody one of these is going to tear a page out of their Bible. But Psalm 89, verse 35. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. This is God speaking. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. God himself has sworn by his holiness. If you went back to Psalm 30, and notice that the faithful are exhorted to give thanks for his holiness. Sing praise to the Lord, Psalm 30 and verse 4 says. Give praise to the Lord, you holy ones, by the way. The Kodesh, the holy ones, the saints. There they are. The holy ones are the saints. The Kodesh of his. And give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. His people, his holy ones, his saints are to praise him and and give thanks for his holiness. We can read about the beauty of the Lord in passages like Psalm 27, which is none other than the beauty of his holiness. I encourage you to spend some time meditating on that. That holiness is God's beauty. Let's read Psalm 96. Psalm 96 in verse 7. And really meditate on this idea. The beauty of the Lord is none other than the beauty of holiness. Psalm 96, starting in verse 7. Give or ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. He is supreme. The world is also firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. And from these passages and others like them, and there's many more, we begin to see that God's holiness seems to challenge an excellency above all his other perfections. So it is the glory. It is the glory of all the rest. As it is the glory of Yahweh, so it is the glory of all his attributes. As his, think about this. As his power is the strength of them, so his holiness is the beauty of them. As all would be weak without almightiness to back them, so all would be uncomely without holiness to adorn them. You know, should his holiness be soiled, all the rest would lose their honor. As as at the same instant, the sun should lose its light, it should lose its heat, it should lose its strength, its generative and life-giving virtue. The same with the holiness of God. As sincerity is the luster of every grace in a Christian, so is purity the splendor of every attribute of God. His justice is a holy justice. His wisdom is a holy wisdom. His arm, his arm of power, it's a holy arm. Psalm 98 verse 1, sing a new song To the Lord, because he has done wonders. His right hand, the hand of power, his holy arm have won him victory. It's a symbol of his power, but it's a holy power. His truth or his promise, his decree is a holy promise. It's a holy decree. He split a rock and water gushed out, flowing as a river over the dry ground, for he remembered his holy promise to his servant Abraham. Psalm 105 verse 42. 
You see, this scripture tells us that it is, it's, the, it's the purity, the purity, the splendor of every attribute of Yahweh is holiness. Psalm 103, in verse 1, tells us his name, which signifies all his attributes in conjunction. You understand that when we talk about the name of God, it's, it's essentially his, his essence. It's his reality. It's holy. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Everything in me, bless his holy name. This is the holiness of God. This is the attribute of God that we are trying to consider and meditate on tonight. And, and listen, some of this stuff I understand. You're going to have to spend some time. Pour yourself a cup of tea, sit there and stir it, meditate on it, on the back porch, whatever you got to do. But listen, we need to, we can look at what scripture shows us about the holiness of God and we can learn more as we see how his holiness is manifested in scripture. Let me give you an example. Over in Psalm 145, turn there with me, Psalm 145, and let's look at verse 17. We talked about this a little bit yesterday that that we need to, to, to learn about God, the things that are unknown of God, things we cannot see about what is known, what is seen. We talk about this concept quite often in our studies. But in his works, we can see his holiness manifested. Psalm 145 and verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. Nothing... But that which is excellent can proceed from God. Holiness, holiness is the rule of all his actions. At the beginning of everything, Genesis chapter 1, think back to that. You can turn back there if you want. In the beginning, God did, God made, God created ex nihilo. He created everything and he made it very good. Genesis 1.31. Which he could not have done had there been anything imperfect or in unholy in them. When we think about humanity, mankind, in fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 29 tells us that man was made upright in the image and likeness of his creator, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We are told that the angels, the created spiritual beings that fell, Genesis 6, we read about that. The angels that fell were created holy. For we're told in Jude, verse 6, that they did not keep within their original authority, but abandoned their proper sphere. You see, in God's works, we see proof of his holiness. Even in, even in Satan. The adversary. It is written, you were perfect, Ezekiel 28. Many believe this could relate to him in, 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 a, in a dualistic nature type of a way or application. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until right, unrighteousness was found in you. And again, not getting into it, some believe that, that the adversary was a created seraphim class angelic being who, for his various reasons, chose to rebel and he, he fell. What I want you to see is even... In the case of rebellious supernatural beings, angels, all that the Lord has done and can ever do is holy. 
So we see God's holiness manifested in his works. We see it manifested in his law, in his decree, in that which he has said, his, his, his counsel, his will. In fact, God's law forbids sin in all of its modifications. If you were to turn to the New Testament book of Romans in chapter 7, we can notice there in verse 12, Romans 7 and verse 12, there it reads very simply, Therefore, the law is holy. And a study of Romans very quickly helps us understand Paul is referring back to the Torah, right? The instructions of the Lord. The Torah, the law is holy. And the commandment, holy and just and good. A lot of times we get this negative feeling, this negative vibe about the Torah, right? The law of Moses, it's, it, that was messed up. It was bad. No, it wasn't. There wasn't a thing wrong with it. You know why? Because it came from God. They were his instructions, his law forbids sin in all of its modifications, in its most refined as well as in its grossest forms, the intent of the mind as well as the pollution of the body, the secret desire as well as the overt act. God's instructions, God's law forbids sin. And it's perfect. The hymn we sang just a moment ago. Yeah, it's here on the, on the, on the slide. Beautiful hymn. I love that hymn. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul or the inner person. That's a different translation that's on the, on the slide there. The instructions of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple, the thoughtless. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rulings of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. God's holiness is manifested in his law, in his instructions. All that the Lord has said to humanity, all the thus saith the Lord's, they're holy. Perhaps the greatest place we can see manifested the holiness of God is at the cross. At the cross. If you wanted to look there at Romans chapter 6... Romans chapter 6, here's a, a, a several verses we'll read here, starting in verse 17. In Romans 6, verse 17. But God be thanked that through you, that, excuse me, that though you were sin, slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of, right, of righteousness. He says, I speak in human terms or common language because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you used to present your members as slaves of uncleanness, which led to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness, being set apart for God. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. <clears throat> Wondrously, and yet most solemnly, does the atoning death of Jesus display God's infinite holiness and his abhorrence of sin. I mean, think about it. How hateful must sin be to God for him to punish to its utmost end when it was falsely blamed on the holy, only, unique son? 
Yesterday I referred to Stephen Charnock. I double-checked his name. I think, I, yeah, I got, a, I got a quote here from him. That's awful small. Sorry, squint, all right? <clears throat> Stephen Charnock, who was a Puritan clergyman who lived in the mid-15th century, he wrote this. And this is kind of one of those kind of wordy phrases, so we'll read it slowly. And listen to what he says. Not all the vials of judgment that have or shall be poured out upon the wicked world, nor the flaming furnace of a sinner's conscience, nor the irreversible sentence pronounced against the rebellious demons, nor the groans of the damned creatures, give such a demonstration of God's hatred of sin as the wrath of God let loose upon his Son. Never did divine holiness appear more beautiful and lovely than at the time of our Savior's countenance was most marred in the midst of his dying groans. This himself acknowledges in the 22nd Psalm, when God had turned his smiling face from him and thrust his sharp knife into his heart, which forced that terrible cry from him, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The psalmist adores this perfection, writing, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Now I know he... he goes a couple different places there, but do you hear what he's saying? And no other thing, moment, act, event is the holiness of God demonstrated more clearly towards his hatred for sin and then at the cross. In the case, in the, excuse me, in the cross, we learn we learn Yahweh hates all sin because he's holy. Because God is holy, he hates sin. He loves everything which is in conformity to his laws and loathes everything which is contrary to it. I'll give you some examples here. His word plainly declares in, in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 32 that the perverse is an abomination to the Lord. And again, in, in Proverbs 15, 26, these aren't on the screen, uh, the Lord detests plans to do evil. He hates it. But kind words are pure. It follows, therefore, that he must necessarily punish sin. He hates sin, so he must punish sin. Sin can no more exist without demanding his punishment than without requiring his hatred of it. God has often forgiven sinners, but he never forgives sin. And the sinner is only forgiven on the ground of another having borne his punishment. Hebrews 9.22 says, For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Therefore, we're told in Nahum chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. I should have put all these on the wall, but I'll just quote them for you. The Lord is a jealous and vengeful God. The Lord avenges. He knows how to be angry. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and stores up wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger but great in power, and he does not leave the guilty unpunished. For sin, for one sin, God banished our first parents from Eden. They sinned. They were banished. Because of sin, all the posterity of Ham, for example, fell under a curse which remains over them to this day, Genesis 9.21. For because of sin, Moses was excluded from Canaan. Elisha's servant, smitten with leprosy. Ananias and Sapphira cut off from the land of the living because of sin. And there's countless examples of that. 
Truly we learn the most profound lessons about the holiness of God at the cross. But if you will, allow me to offer just a few more thoughts tonight on this subject. I did put them on the slide. There they all are. Sorry, I didn't know I had one more slide. I should look over here. It's, there's another slide. Let me give you a few more thoughts. Because Yahweh, because the Lord is holy, we can be certain of the divine inspiration of scriptures. Now, this kind of seems like a, 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 a turn real quick, but think about this for a second. How can we apply this to our lives? We understand God is holy. We see manifestations and proofs of it in scripture and those things we've talked about. But what does it mean? It means that we can be certain of the divine inspiration of the scriptures. Here's a fact for you. The unregenerate do not really believe in the holiness of God. Truthfully, their conception of his character is altogether one-sided. They fondly hope that his mercy will override everything else. Go talk to somebody who is, who is a, who's a not-believer, who's an unregenerate, someone who is lost. And, and you'll hear that in, their, in their, their comments. God has a charge for all who stand in such a position. And perhaps you're in that position this very night, hearing, hearing my voice in this very room. And the charge is found over in Psalm 50. In Psalm 50 and verse 21. <clears throat> These things you have done and I kept silent. Now this is God speaking. You thought I was altogether like you. Listen to that again. These things you have done. Back up and read the previous 20 verses and you get to these things, right? These things you have done and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you. But I will rebuke you. And set them in order before your eyes. Do you hear that? At best, those who choose to refuse the Lord think only of God patterned after their own evil hearts. They think too humanly of God. He is a God of corny sentimentality, as we talked about yesterday. And this is why they continue in a course of spiritual recklessness and folly. You ever wonder why your friends and neighbors don't come to church and don't understand and don't study and don't, aren't baptized? It's because of this. They don't understand that God is holy and his scriptures are by divine inspiration of a holy God. The holiness ascribed to God in scripture clearly demonstrates the supernatural origin of the Bible. Think about it. The character attributed to the gods, there's my air quotes, lowercase g, the gods of the ancients and even even the modern heathens, are, are the very reverse of that immaculate holiness which pertains to the true God. We talked about that yesterday. An indescribable holy God who has, at the, has the utmost abhorrence of all sin was never, was never invented by any of Adam's fallen descendants. What I mean is if you go out amongst the the heathen of the jungles or wherever, whether it be concrete jungles or, or, or plant jungles, whatever, you go out there and you find the heathen, the unregenerate, people who have fallen away from God and his holiness and his will, they don't create and invent a truly holy, indescribably holy God. The fact is that nothing makes more obvious the terrible depravity of man's heart and his resistance to the living God than to have set before him one who is infinitely and immutably holy. Humanity's trivial, uh, trivial idea of, of, of sin is practically limited to what the world calls crime. 
you talk, well, talk to your neighbors and talk to them about the concept of sin, and they'll basically say sin is like crime, right? Anything short of that, and, and man can excuse it away as defects, mistakes, weaknesses, and the such like. As long as I don't do something really bad that's considered a crime, I'm doing good. And even where sin is owned at all, excuses and glossings are just made for it. Brothers and sisters, the holy deity of Scripture, as we are studying about tonight, is proof of the divine origin of the entirety of the Bible. Because wicked man, wicked man would never create such a magnificent being who is so high above them and despising of their sinful activity. That would just be foolish, wouldn't it? We can be sure of the inspiration of this book when we stop and consider the holiness of God because he is holy. But also because Yahweh is holy, we are allowed to know him as he is. Right? The God which the vast majority of professing Christians love, right? the one who is peddled all across the pulpits of this land, he's looked upon very much like an indulgent old man right? who himself has no relish for folly but leniently just winks at the indiscretions of youth and things such as that. But the word describes the Lord quite differently, doesn't he? It doesn't it? The word. Look at uh, Psalm chapter 5. Psalm chapter 5. I've got verse 5 up here, but let's just read the little surrounding verses. Psalm, Psalm 5 verse 4. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. And if you went over to chapter 7 and read there verse 11, God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. But men refuse to believe in this God, don't they? You just look around our land. They, 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 they refuse to believe in this God and they gnash their teeth when, when his hatred of sin is faithfully pressed upon their attention. When you bring it to their attention, like, ugh, I don't want to hear about that. People reject that. Those who desire to see his face will accept the Lord as perfect in holiness and they will reject vile imposters, even, even at great cost to their pride. We can know the, the Yahweh, we can know God, the Lord, but, but only if we accept him as he has revealed himself to us. Any other form, any other form is a, is a fraud. And because he is holy, we can know him. We are allowed to know him as he is. Also, because he is holy, we can be accepted by him on his terms. This is so important. <clears throat> Neither you nor I <clears throat> could any sooner create the cosmos from nothing then produce that which would meet his, the approval of the infinite holiness of God. You understand what I'm saying? There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. We, we would have better chance just creating a whole new universe somewhere. It just, it just can't happen. In truth, on our own, we are on our own, without the Lord, we are other from him, as other from him as, as he is from us. Right? He's wholly other from everything else. He is holy. And without him, we are as opposite from him as we could be. In mercy, he makes a way for us to be in union with him. But only on his terms. I find this to be one of the 
common ideas among people today is that they want to come to God, but on their terms. I want to come to God my way, the way I want. That's, that's good for me. And you'll hear things like, well, God and I, we got an understanding. Do you really? Blessed be his name, that which his holiness demanded, his grace has provided in Christ Jesus our Lord. And only on his terms can we be accepted by him. Not by our power, not by our holiness, but by his every, his holiness, every poor sinner who has fled to him for refuge stands accepted in the beloved. Ephesians chapter 1. We were in Ephesians quite a bit yesterday. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Not by our power, not by our holiness, but by his. We are holy and without blame before him in love. So we can be accepted by him on his terms. And, we, and because he is holy, the highest reverence becomes our approach to him. This is where it ties into our worship, when we can know who God is and understand his holiness. Scripture asks us in, in, in Psalm 99, or excuse me, Psalm 89. Scripture asks, which of these gods can rival the Lord? Psalm 89, verse 6. Which of these gods, lowercase g, can rival the Lord? A God dreaded in the great assembly of the holy ones and feared by all around him. What an interesting question. And since none can, no God can rival the Lord. Psalm 99 and verse 5 says, Exalt the Lord our God. Prostrate yourselves at his footstool, for he is holy. Now if you stop and think about that, people all around this world worship gods. And I'm not just talking about stone and, and rock and, and wood idols. I'm telling you, there are other Elohim, the Bible tells us, and they worship these gods. Yes, at his footstool, in the lowest posture of humility, we should all, all humanity should prostrate before him. Why? Because he is holy. And he alone is holy. When Moses would approach unto the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 5, <clears throat> God said, don't come any closer. In fact, exclamation point, don't come any closer. Take your sandals off your feet because the place where you're standing is holy ground. And Moses did. And Moses fell on his face. And he assumed the proper position of the highest reverence because that's the proper approach to a holy God. Psalm 2 and verse 11. Again, I'm giving you a lot to to. to Think about, you, I know we've got a lot of scriptures to cover. If you want to turn to Psalm 2, verse 11, it says, Yahweh is to be served with fear. With fear. Of Israel, his demand was, according to Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 3, through those who are near me, I will be consecrated. And before all of the people, I will be glorified. What you need to understand from all of this is, 
The more our hearts are awed by his unspeakable, indescribable, immutable holiness, the more acceptable will our approach be unto him. The more acceptable will our worship be. We're not coming here to play church. We're not coming here to just go to the most. We are here to worship the most high. And because he is holy, we should desire to be conformed to him. We'll finish with 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15. His command, which actually comes from Leviticus chapter 11 and 19 and 20, but we see it repeated here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Now listen, that phrase, this idea should mean a lot more to us now as we understand that Yahweh is holy and what that means. As he who called you is holy, so also you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. We aren't charged, think about this, we aren't charged by the Lord through his inspired word to be omnipotent. It doesn't say, be ye omnipotent as I am omnipotent. It doesn't say, be ye omniscient as I am omniscient. It says, be ye holy as I am holy. By following the Holy One who called you, then you are to become holy yourselves in your entire way of life. It's really remarkable when you stop and think about this. This is the prime way of honoring God. Another quote from Stephen Charnock I'll give to you very quickly. We do not so glorify God by elevated admiration or eloquent expressions or pompous services of him. Right? We don't, that's not, that's not it. He says, we we, we glorify God when we aspire. uh, I'm sorry, read this. We do not so glorify God by elevated admiration or eloquent expressions or pompous services of him as when we aspire to a conversing with him with unstained spirits and live to him and living like him. In other words, we, we so glorify God not by what we say and what we do and, and how we worship it. Those things, yes, but the best way, the greatest way, the supreme way is when we live like him. We are like him as he is. Be holy as I am holy. And since the Lord alone is the source and fount of holiness, let us earnestly seek holiness from him. We are invited and charge to be like him in this aspect. So let your daily prayer be that the God of peace make you completely holy. This is over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 and 24. Here's a prayer for you. May the God of peace make you completely holy. May your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus the Messiah. The one calling you is faithful, and he will do it. There's a good daily prayer for you. Brothers and sisters, I just want you to understand one thing as I, as I take away from the, this lesson. This is Yahweh. This is the most high God. This is our God. Let everyone bless his holy name. Submit to his sovereign will and live sanctified lives to his glory. This is what the world needs now more than ever. 
What the world needs now is not love, sweet love, but what the world needs now is the Lord and to be like him and to submit to him and to live sanctified lives to his glory, to be holy as he is holy. And now my question for you this evening is this. Do you, do you believe that Yahweh is the one true God and that Jesus is the, his only unique son? Here's questions for you. You've got to answer these questions. Do you believe that? Do you desire to be born again? Rescued from the darkness of sin and death and redeemed to eternal life? I don't know everybody's state right now in this room. I don't know where you are. Some people I do. I don't know everybody's. Perhaps you're sitting here thinking, I believe in God. Well, if you do, do you want to be born again? Rescued from sin and death? Are you willing to turn away from, from sin and turn your heart toward the Lord? That's called repentance. And are you willing to speak the words, I believe, something like, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God? That's confessing your faith. And will you submit to the Lord's command to be immersed for the remission of sins and raised to walk in newness of life? This is the Lord's invitation. Beautiful, simple, totally, because he is holy. Eternal life now and forever can be yours. As we sing the, the hymn here in a moment, prepare to meet thy God. There is a day coming where you will stand before the Lord, the holy God, the one we've been discussing and studying about tonight. If I can say it this way, if you'll allow me to say it this way, if you aren't holy as he is holy, then standing before them is, that's not where you'd want to be standing. Do you understand what I mean? And we aren't holy of our own. You can't just be a good person According to scripture, just be a good person and on your merits and the good things you do, be able to stand justified and holy in his sight. His holiness is transferred to us. His righteousness is transferred to us by faith. Romans tells us that. And by faith, we obey his will. We submit to his commands and we are born again. Eternal life now and forever can be yours if you desire and obey what I've just told you. All you have to do is accept the Lord's invitation to be saved. To be saved from the wrath that's coming upon the world when Jesus returns, he will come back. It's a promise. And this is the Holy One's free gift to you. Like I said, I don't know where you are right now. I don't know where you're at with the Lord right now. I don't know your relationship with God. I just don't know. You do. Will you receive the Lord's invitation? Will you prepare yourself to meet the Lord? All you have to do is let me know or let one of the men here know that you believe in Jesus Christ and you want to be born again. Water is right behind me. You can be baptized for the remission of sins and then you'll be conformed to the image of his son. And then you can be holy as he is holy, living your life for how much longer you have on this earth, reflecting, imaging God, helping others in any way you can to come to that same decision that you make. But you'll be prepared, prepared to meet the Lord. If you're not prepared, now is the right time. It's the best time. I want you to let us know how we can help you as together we stand to sing.